Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. I want to talk to you this morning about courage. Courage. I'm lifting a short text from the Old Testament book of Joshua this morning, the third chapter, verse 4. For you have not passed this way before. You've not passed this way before. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts because we have not passed this way before. I pray, O Lord, that in the modeling of the Old Testament, you would speak to us, speak to us where we are today, that we would rise up, stand before you with courage as we face a new day. So hear the cry of my heart, O Lord. Speak through your word. May that word bring life and light, even in these difficult hours, and we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first and third chapters of Joshua, there is a framework for hope that speaks to our frustration, to our impatience, and to our fear. It takes us back to Israel preparing for entry into the promised land. And so I'll read from the first chapter, and then I'm going to be referencing the third chapter where the first chapter promise is being walked out starting then in Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There are five points of understanding and instruction 
that emerge in the reading of this passage and also in its implementation in the third chapter. First of all, we need to understand that yesterday, yesterday's gone. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Moses, my servant, is dead. Yesterday's gone. Remember, if you will, a generation of Israel perished in the wilderness after botching their first attempt to enter into the promised land. So the 40 and under crowd that formed the majority of the people lined up to enter into the promised land. We would today, we would call them, we'd call them millennials. It's kind of like the builders and many of the boomers died in the wilderness. And now Gen X and the millennials and Gen Z who have not known normal outside of Moses' leadership, now they're lining up to launch into a brand new day and a brand new land. One day Moses was there. The next he was gone. Sometimes life turns on a dime. Not so many years ago, when the planes flew into the towers, life turned on a dime. We went to sleep in one world, and we, we woke up in a brand new world, a place we had never been before. And so in the same sense, we find ourselves here today, living somewhere short of quarantine, humbled by an enemy that we cannot see, all thoughts of normalcy are just wistful memories for us now. All plans of the future, all plans are on hold. All securities have been breached. Our fortunes have been wiped away. Fear reigns supreme. Our streets are possessed of an eerie silence. So sudden. Yesterday's gone. Moses is dead. Can't you see these people saying, Moses is dead just last Saturday. Just last Saturday, we saw Moses climb up Mount Nebo. And we've seen, we've seen Moses go up the mountains before. And he usually comes down with some great revelation from God. But now he's just gone. He's gone. For the children of Israel, many of them felt like they had come to the end of the book when really they had only come to the end of a chapter. Big difference between the end of a book and the end of a chapter. These people made the break from Egypt. They forged across the Red Sea. They wandered through the desert. They followed Moses wherever he led them. They were a movement as much as a people. What will happen? What will happen to this divine movement now? They could have easily just sat down on the east side of the Jordan and said, well, this is, this is as far as Moses led us, and so this is as far as we're going. We're going to fight the Moabites, we're going to fight the Ammonites, and we're going to take all of this land east of the Jordan. We've gone far enough. We're just going to settle. Could have. How quickly our revolutions become institutions. 400 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast corner of America. 
In the first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. In the third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. And in the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had the vision to cross 3,000 miles of ocean, but in just three years, they were unable to see five miles outside of town. Revolutions become institutions. Pilgrims become settlers. Listen, God made a changing world to change. He made it for chains. He made it for movements. He is unchanging. His word is forever settled in heaven. But everything else changes. He's the God of the new day. He's the God of the new way. He's the God of the new anointing and the new challenge and the new chapter. And there comes a time when the Old things have just got to pass away. Moses is dead, but God is not. The chapter is turned, but the truth marches on. It won't be the same, but only the dead stop moving. Only the dead. Don't ever put a period where God puts a comma. And this momentary crisis that we find ourselves in is a comma. It's not a period. Moses may be dead, but the plan of God is even yet being unfolded, and brilliantly. Even though we can't see it, we can't understand it, we don't like it, God is at work in the midst of it. Everything changes. Goodbye, Moses. Hello, Joshua. Goodbye, wilderness. Hello, promised land. Goodbye to what we were, that what we shall be might be revealed. Moses is dead. Yesterday's gone. Second point I need to make this morning is this the river's wide. The river is wide. From the third chapter of Joshua, verse 15, now the river overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. Understand what this little bit of information tells us. Getting across the Jordan was not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, getting across the Jordan was not humanly possible. Not only were things never going to be the same again, the way forward was blocked by a river at flood stage. The people couldn't move into their destiny until they crossed the Jordan River, and the Jordan River seemed uncrossable. What we're looking at right now seems uncrossable. If you read everything that's online, if you're chasing all of the reports that are coming in, we don't know how accurate some are. Some are more accurate than others, and some are just plain, just plain nuts. But if you feed yourself on all of that, you are left with this sense of 
How in the world are we ever going to get through this? You see, the people couldn't move into their destiny until they crossed the Jordan. And we are up against our own Jordan right now. It's real. It's hard. We've never been up against anything like this before. Not in our lifetimes. And we can't go back. We've got to get through this. And there's no immediate solution appearing on the horizon. This morning I can tell you, I don't know. I don't know how hard it's going to be. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know how deep the water's going to be. I don't know anything without doubts except one thing. We will cross this river. You can count on it because you see, we're walking with the waymaker. Our present help in time of trouble. Our refuge and our strength, our provider. For some of Moses' followers, I'm, I'm certain that the Jordan was their dreaded end. This has got to be the end of the road. But for God, the Jordan was a new beginning. They couldn't go back. They didn't know how they were going to be able to go forward. So they were at a point of shutdown. Shut down. Lockdown. Familiar passages, familiar sounding phrases were locked down. That's the children of Israel at the Jordan. So what do they do? Well, it brings us to the third point, and that is that crisis demands consecration. Crisis demands consecration. Then Joshua said to the people, this is chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. I think it's evidence of an underlying weakness in our faith that it takes crisis, it seems, to drive us to our knees. After 9-11, churches everywhere in America were chasing their capacity, pushing their capacity. The Sunday after, September the 16th, churches overflowed with distraught visitors. At Redeemer in Manhattan, led by my favorite Presbyterian, Tim Keller, the ordinary attendance of 2,800 ballooned to 5,400. Churches were full everywhere. Within three or maybe four or five weeks, the boom continued, and then our new normal pushed prayer once again, sadly, to the margins. All that being said, Crisis demands of us consecration. We need to give ourselves again afresh and anew to the Lord. If we've wandered, it's time to come home. If we've grown complacent, it's time to shake ourselves awake. When Solomon dedicated the temple on that high and holy day, Fire fell from heaven to signify God's acceptance of his new dwelling place among men. And God spoke to Solomon about the hearts of his people. He said, this is a people who wander. They'll struggle with idolatry. They'll, they'll wander back into the chains of sin. And he said, 
When that happens, Solomon, here's the promise, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. When we are prayerless, we are truly powerless. We're left to our own devices. And I have to say, friends, right now, in the face of this trouble, we've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. We can't leave it there, though, can we? Fourth, fourth point, we need to come to grips with this truth. We are not alone. Just a moment ago, they were singing about the fire, saying, I know I will never be alone. There'll be another in the fire. There'll be another in the waters. I will never be alone. Chapter 1, verse 9 of Joshua. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. God spoke these reassuring words to Joshua. And may he speak them to us today, for this is not a promise that is locked in this single passage. It's not locked into a, a Joshua context. You need to understand that this is the promise of God, a biblical theme from Genesis to Revelation. He makes the promise again and again and again. Joshua lived in the shadow of Moses. He was the protege. He was the faithful follower. But now the chapter is turned, and now Joshua must become what he was not before, the absolute leader. He has to take up that mantle. New chapters always require new perspectives, new strength, new resolve, new visions. And God wanted Joshua to be assured, as you face the new, I will be with you and I will not leave you. The challenge of our present situation, our social distancing, is that you and I were not made for alone. This virus isn't just a threat to our bodies, it's a threat to our souls, it's a threat to community, to our emotional lives, because it threatens us. It threatens us with a deadly killer alone. Dr. Philip Zimbardo of Stanford fame wrote, I know of no more potent killer than isolation. It has been shown to be the central agent in the etology of depression, paranoia, schizophrenia, rape, suicide, mass murder. He goes on, the devil's strategy for our times is to trivialize human existence in a number of ways by isolating from one another while creating the delusion that the reasons are time pressure, work demands, or anxieties created by economic uncertainties. We were not made for alone. But aloneness, this aloneness we feel, it's not simply the product of the curfews and the cancellations. It was with us before we were told that we couldn't meet in great numbers. It was with us 
before the first bit of this virus was discovered on American soil. See, we're constantly surrounded by people in the crush of great crowds and in the bonds of the workplace and of the family. We're surrounded by people who suffer. They suffer from a disease called loneliness. It's nothing new. Whenever I use lyrics from the pulpit, they always date me as somewhat of a dinosaur. But I grew up with the Beatles. I marvel to this day at the iconic nature, the legs of their songs. They're still running strong all of these years later. But among their finest efforts is a ballad to loneliness, Eleanor Rigby. The final stanza of the song says, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Belonging. That's the cry of the human heart. Belonging. To be part of the other, to be part of something greater, a community, a family, a nation. Etched in my memory are those moments I've spent with people in the last moments, the last hours of their lives. I think among the most desperate voices I've ever heard was the one who said, Pastor, I don't want to die alone. I don't want to die alone. I think it is the cruelest epitaph when through the fullness of years, one has lived alone. To live alone. God's promise to you, God's promise to me, is never alone. Matthew caps his gospel with the final words of Jesus, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've not reached the end of the age yet. The sky is not falling. The sun will come out tomorrow. The river will soon be crossed. And we are not alone. Finally, I want to talk to you about a promised tomorrow. And we go back to the third chapter of Joshua, verse 5. We read it before, but I want to read it again for a different point of emphasis. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Tomorrow. We have a tomorrow. For Joshua, there was no going back to yesterday nor can we. There was only tomorrow. We're no different. Facing what we are facing, struggling with what we are struggling with, we're no different. We just need to understand he has promised us, he's with us always, and until that moment, until that moment, he decides to roll up time, there is a tomorrow. There is a tomorrow. He holds all of our tomorrows in the palm of his hand. He knew our days. The Bible tells us he knew all of our days 
all of them numbered, all of them set aside for us when not even one of them yet was. He knew. So, how should we live? How should we respond? How do we go on? As people without hope? In panic and dismay? Going to get angry? Going to let depression squeeze the life out of your heart? You're going to worry yourself to a point of exhaustion? Alone? Certainly not. We've just got to get across this river. So we've got to get on our knees. And we've got to humble ourselves. And we've got to seek our provider. And we've got to stand in the gap for people who are suffering, for the affected, for the afflicted. Standing in the gap and praying God's mercy and grace and healing upon them. We've got to trust God for his ample provision, even as people are being laid off and losing their jobs, not knowing what the future holds for them. We have got to stand strong and trust that God is our provider. And we've got to, above all things, we've got to look up. We've got to look up. You see, you can't go forward looking in the rearview mirror. And you'll never see a new horizon if you're looking at the ground. The psalmist says, those who look to him, their faces are radiant. So this morning, I want to encourage you to challenge you. Take a breath. Turn down the noise. Turn off the news. Take stock in the promises of God. And take courage. Above all, take courage. Seize upon it. Rise up. For this too shall pass. Father, convince us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that you have not absented yourself from this crisis, that you've not moved far away, that your hand has not been somehow robbed of its power or your arm shortened that you cannot reach us in trouble. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would step into our wounded and broken, even frightened hearts and let the light of your presence Cause us to open our eyes wide and look up. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.